Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Cindy, are you ready for God's Word? <laughs> God, we're ready for God's Word. Amen. Are you ready for doctrine? <laughs> Praise God. So tell your neighbor, say doctrine. It's more powerful than experience. Because doctrine can change your experience. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Tell your neighbor, say doctrine. It's more powerful than miracles. Because doctrine can create an atmosphere for miracles. Woo, glory to God. <laughs> I grew up watching atmosphere for miracles. <laughs> My pastor Chris, powerful atmosphere for miracles. Because doctrine can create that atmosphere. Jesus only came to teach, but the power of God was present to heal. Because doctrine can create an atmosphere for miracles. Praise God. Tell your neighbor, say doctrine is more powerful than dogma. Because doctrine can change the heart and transform the mind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, say today, I pay attention to doctrine. Say, say it again. Say today, I pay attention to doctrine. Say, I'm in no hurry around doctrine. Say, I have no itchy ears. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, I stay grounded in doctrine. Say this one with grace. Say, I love sound doctrine. Because <laughs> he's laughing. I love sound doctrine. Amen. I love it. Then ask your neighbor, why? Why do you love sound doctrine so much? Why? Why do you love me so much? Tell your neighbor, because I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I love sound doctrine so much, you know. I love sound doctrine. So today we're going to be learning more on doctrine. Amen, 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 and amen. And like I said, the unity of the Spirit is so strong in this house. You know, what Director A.Y. shared earlier today was so apt. And it just, you know, dovetailed into my teaching very powerfully. So God bless your hearts for being obedient <laughs> to the voice of the Spirit. <laughs> Don't politicize my message, please. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Powerful, powerful. We are still on the book of Jonah. This is one of the most powerful teaching series I have ever taught. And um, if you don't receive it as powerful, something is wrong. Trust me. Because it's so life-transforming. So powerful. So powerful. Uh, what chapter are we now? Chapter 3. So Jonah has now received a second invitation to do God's will. And he has grudgingly moved in the direction of obedience. Even though it's more of compliance than obedience. Because we see that he did not really repent. So he allowed his hands and his legs, cooperate with the instruction, but his heart was far away. And then he got to Nineveh. He got to Nineveh. By the way, if you're joining us for the first time today, this is the eighth installment. So do not assume that you know everything there is about this series until you, you know, listen to the first seven installments. Very powerful sessions there. Okay? 
Bible says in verse 1, and the word of God came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, the great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting phrase there. He began to enter. <laughs> Such a great city it was. He began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Spoken. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be full of rubbles. It will be overthrown. So, verse 5, powerful verse. It says, so the people believed God. Wow. So, Jonah preached the gospel and the people believed God. They believed God and Bible said, and proclaimed a fast. And put on sackcloth. From the greatest, from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed, and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king, and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast nor herd, nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed, nor drink water. What's their own now? Don't be man seen. Why is good cattle and everything you are wearing, why do they have to suffer for your own rebellion? But you need to understand the context of this. Before we get there, uh, uh, something really fascinates me here. Bible says from the beginning of Jonah's message, Bible says the people of Nineveh already believed. Already they believed. And Bible says word got to the king. You need to pay attention here. This was not Jonah preaching to the king. This was them say, them say. To a certain degree we are not aware of. We do not know the level, the value chain of the number of people who heard the original message, stepped it down, stepped it down, stepped it down, before it got to the king of Nineveh. But even at that degree of dilution, the gospel still convicted his heart. The gospel still convicted his heart. Remember, this is a half-hearted preaching of the gospel. This is a Jonah that did not intend for the people he was preaching to, to repent. Imagine the way he would have preached it. Almost with a bias. I don't want you guys believing. So I'm going to tell you everything that will make you think I'm such a proud guy who is not worthy to be listened to. I'm going to say it in such a cocky way. But you know, I will be doing what God said I should do. But the intention of why God said I should do it will not be accomplished with the way I'm going to get it done. So he was just saying it half-heartedly. A heartless preaching of the gospel still got 120,000 people saved. And the Bible says it was not the direct conversation that Jonah had with the king of Nineveh that got him convicted as well. It was word that got to the king. They said, Jonah said, that somebody said, that somebody said, that Jonah said, that if we do not repent in four days, we will be overthrown. And the Bible says... Even the king was convicted. 
That's how powerful the gospel is. Anyone who is not saved did not hear it. You didn't hear me. If you are not saved after hearing it, quote and unquote, you really did not hear it. The gospel is too powerful to be denied. It's too powerful to be rejected. The Bible says if our gospel is hidden, it is hidden only to them who are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on their heart. So the reason why they are not believing is because they've not heard it. They've not seen it. Their mind have been blinded by the God of this world. And I so believe somebody must have been praying for Nineveh. As the Lord was raising Jonah to preach, God had already raised an army to pray. Such that by the time Jonah started to preach, everybody believed. Such a record-breaking conversion rate. Even with a heartless message. All of them got saved. Including the king. Including the king. The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. The king got saved. And then he began to give commands after his own influence because he's the king. So he said, let nobody within my realm of influence eat nor drink. We're fasting, we're repenting for the next three days or as many days as he decided. And he said, let nobody eat or drink. We are repenting. Ah. So he involved all his sectors as well. Because what you see here is animals and all of that. But that was all the industry. That was all the sectors of influence. That was all there was. It was an agrarian community. Do you see? So apart from the people, all industries must observe this fast. Hmm. So the government said, everybody must align their hearts to the expectation of this God. Because governments, societies, systems, institutions are victims of the ideology of the men that run them. I'll say that again. Governments, systems, institutions, societies, they are a victim. They are, they are perpetual victims of the ideology of the men that run them. Because if you enter into Nineveh the day they were repenting, you couldn't buy a drink. Nobody would sell it to you. They give me a cigar there. Oh, sorry, we are fasting. You couldn't be corrupt on that day. And in fact, days later, because what the king said is that let everybody desist from their evil ways. Perhaps God will have mercy. So you will enter into Nineveh and all the corruption inside you will not be able to find expression. This is Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. Assyria that is neck deep into sodomy, sorcery, debauchery. This is Nineveh. And for three days, prostitutes did not work. You will go to their own Allen Avenue. You won't see anybody standing there. They say, oh, got no market today. You couldn't buy beer. The king's repentance affected every single industry within his control. You see why you must get into politics. You see why you must get into positions of influence and power and authority. Because your repentance can affect your industry. The king said, let everybody within my influence, my influence, 
let them carry on the same posture that I'm carrying right now. That's the power of the gospel. I know a lot of us have been campaigning for people. But I'm going to tell you the real power here. The real power of the gospel. Hmm? I'm going to share it with you. And it's designed for institutional transformation. Did you hear what I said? The gospel is designed for institutional transformation. Because the world, the earth, and the environment has a way of reflecting the nature of the man's relationship with his God. This is why everything in creation is waiting in anticipation, all right, of the manifestation of the sons of God. Everything around is a reflection of the man's relationship with his God. Everything. Every single dimension of life. Everything responds to the gospel. Everything. Even the goats responded. Industries responded. The educational sector responded. The agricultural sector responded. Because the gospel was preached. Everything in Nineveh was upgraded to the level of the posture of the heart of every man in that city. Do you see? Everything. So there were some things that will not fly in Nineveh because we were repenting. And even after repenting, they were still repentance. The state of the heart must never be void of repentance. The willingness to change your mind once God gives you a better way to do things. That state of heart to change your mind and move at the instance of the Holy Ghost. Just let every man desist from his evil doing. So where is this power coming from? Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. So you understand how powerful this power is. Uh, it's a very, very powerful power. Matthew chapter 28, when I saw this, ah, it changed my life. <laughs> because my life is still being changed. Glory to God. Matthew chapter 28, we've referenced this a couple of Sundays ago, but we're referencing it again. Powerful. What? Verse 17, the Bible says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then 18, Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power, all power in, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. But this is the powerful thing. He says, All power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. Now, because all power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. He says, go ye therefore. You need to link the two. The reason why he's telling you to go into the nations is because all power has been given to him in heaven and on earth. However, that power that is given to him in heaven and on earth will not find expression on until his people go into the world to teach all nations. So the vehicle of teaching is the vehicle that transports the power of God from dispensation to dispensation. It's the vehicle of teaching. The vehicle of teaching. That is, the earth will be bereft of the power of God if the church does not teach it. Did you get that? He says, go ye therefore. That is, if you see therefore in scripture, you need to check what it's there for. And it's likely going to be connected to what had been said before. 
that verse. So he says, go ye therefore, because all power has been given unto me, in heaven and in earth. But that power can be limited by your lack of going. He says, go ye therefore. And he didn't just say preach, he says teach. Teach all nations. Teach all nations. This is how to dispense power. This is where the power of God is manifested. It's in the teaching. It says, teach all nations. Baptizing them. Remember we said, baptizing is teaching, isn't it? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even until the end of age. The only guarantee, the only guarantee that Jesus will find people on earth doing as he has commanded is if teaching never ceased. What will transport the presence of God from generation to generation is the teaching anointing. It's teaching. So in Acts chapter 1, his disciples came to him and said, we've been having too many parties lie to us. In fact, they've been, they've been destroying our land, collecting all our money in all reserves, pocketing it and sharing rigs. They've been ruling us for the past 20 years. This is you, Jesus. You have come. You gave us a sort of a, a, a cushion effect. We really didn't feel the impact of the dysfunctional political system in Israel because you were with us. When we needed bread, you could multiply bread. You were like our subsidy. And now you are about to go to heaven. Oh God, will you at this time return the kingdom to Israel? The political climate is too harsh. We, we, you can't leave us like this. Where do we go to? Where, where do we know to go to? There's oppression everywhere. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And then Jesus looked at them and said, it is not of you to contend with the realities that the Father has kept in his own purview. That's not your business. You see, he said it has been kept in God's power. Remember, that was the word he used. He said it has, re it has been reserved in his power. But it says, you have a certain power as well. It says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be teachers. You shall be witnesses of me. In Jerusalem. And in all Judea. And in Samaria. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So, teaching. Listen to this. It does not matter how great the leader Right, of the institution, the great leader of the presidency of Nigeria is, if there is no teaching churning out sound men, it will still crumble. Because Jesus can be the king of Israel and Israel will still be lost. That was why he did not go through that strategic route. I hope you are getting what I'm saying. Jesus, after he raised from the dead, could have gone and done something dramatic that would have gotten people to believe him. Don't you think so? He could have just floated Israel and started waking up everybody that was sleeping and said, do you see, see, see you were the one that nailed me here? And begin to threaten them and tell them, what is, why, why would you kill me? Do you know the king of Israel? Do you know that I'm, I am the son of God? I told you I was going to destroy this temple in three days and build it. See me now. I am raised from the dead. And it will booger all of them, right? They may have believed, but they may not have been saved. 
So the route, the route was to spend time with the disciples for 40 days. For 40 days, what was he doing? What was he doing? He was transferring the power into them. He was transferring the power. He says the power is not in the dramatic. The power is not in raising and stop and doing all of it. It's not in the dramatic. The power is in conditioning your heart by doctrine. The power is in when I stay with you for 40 days and I turn you into another man. And by the time you are done for 40 days, you go, you preach one sermon, 5,000 get saved. By the next two weeks, 3,000 get saved. And in a, in a month, 8,000 member church through the power of teaching. Because guess what? Everybody that could have believed because he floated around would have been lost by the next week. They would have gone fishing, just like Peter did. They would have gone fishing. Didn't Peter witness miracles? He witnessed miracles for three years. And at the first sight of Jesus' departure, what did he say? I go fishing. What? After all this investment, he, he went fishing. Self-preservation. Man should go shut up. And he went fishing. After all the infallible proofs that Jesus is the Son of God, at the first sight of resistance and the departure of Jesus Christ, he said, I go fishing. But when Jesus came, and he taught them by the power of the Holy Ghost for 40 days. They became another man. And because they had been conditioned by the power of teaching, they could transfer what they had believed into another generation. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times. He was now in front of the Sanhedrin council. And they threatened him and said, do not speak again in this name. He said, sorry, I am not even careful. He, he took from the script of... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he repeated it and said, I am not careful about this, sir. If you like, beat us, kill us, we don't care. We cannot stop to speak. We cannot stop to witness of the things we have seen and heard. We cannot limit our life to just self-preservation alone. Beat me, eh? Bible says when they left, they rejoiced. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be a partaker of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ because they had been taught. The preaching of the gospel is not the preaching of the gospel. It's the teaching of the gospel. You don't just preach a gospel and leave the people. They will need another preaching by next week. They will need another preaching by the next time you visit that village. If you do not enroll them into an infrastructure of teaching that will turn them into Christ after a season and a curriculum that he must have passed through. So teaching is the place of conversion. Bible says the word of God, it's perfect. It converts the soul, not just at the instance that you heard it the first time. Continuous hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is what impacts change and transformation in a man's life. It is the teaching of the gospel. It's the teaching of the gospel. What will change a society so much that the king will declare it fast and all industries will say yes, sir. That there is no corruption in this land again and everybody says yes, sir. It's because the church is churning out a certain dimension of men. So listen, the dysfunction you find in the city is because of the lack of teaching going on in the church. We have just started organizing more miracle services than teaching services. Give me services. Come and collect type of services. But you are not churning out students of the word. How many of them were in the upper room? Only 120. How many of them ate bread? 5,000. 
That tells you the divergence between the quality of men that God can rely on. Will he send the 5,000 into the field? He can't send them because by the next day they were all gone. At the instance of doctrine, they ran away. At the instance of sound teaching, they ran away. They couldn't withhold it. Even Peter was at risk. He just didn't know where else to go to, so he stayed put. Where, where else do we go to? Because when the rubber hits the road, only those who have been taught will stand. Only that is where the power really is. So if teachers are lost in a generation, there is no hope for the next. So what Paul told Timothy is this. These things you have heard me see among many brethren. Commit to faithful men who must be able to teach. The minimum requirement for every single person in the local assembly is that of a teacher. There are some things that Paul did not say in Hebrews 5. Simply because of the growth. He looked at the average growth rate of every member of that church. He said, you are not able to bear this at this time. And because of that, Melchizedek is lost forever in the canon of history. We don't know him. Those were the things that Paul would have said. Those were the things that he began to scratch. But he looked at them. He said, this, this meat will go to waste. How, how would you give meat to someone that cannot handle milk? He's still grappling with milk. And so because of the lack of growth of a certain people, we do not have access to some dimensions around Melchizedek. Because someone did not grow. There is a generation that is losing for your lack of growth today. There is a generation down the line that you may not see now. But they are losing a dimension, a scope, a dispensation of the gospel. Did you hear what Paul said? He said a dispensation of the gospel has been committed into my hands. That means if I'm not faithful with that dispensation, it will be lost forever. It has been set for me. This is why he said, yea, woe is me if I preach it not. A dimension will never be preached. If Paul did not say yes, Lord, do you know how many um, epistles we have in the New Testament? He wrote 14. The entire New Testament is about 28. He wrote half of it. A dispensation. It took a son to do that. I may need to turn, pull off this. well. Alright? The teaching of the gospel. And you see in a lot of churches now, people are so comfortable to stay as babes. Tell your neighbor, God forbid. No, no. Paul was not talking only to the elders of the church that he was referring to. He said, when all of you ought to be teachers, all of you ought to be teachers. Because listen, it is the degree at which teachers are produced that the church can spread. If the average member of the church is not a Philip, Samaria will not be saved. Don't you understand? If the average component of the member in a church is not a Philip, Samaria is lost. Because he didn't take a bishop to save Samaria. He took a random pew member called Philip who was designed to just be seven tables. The whole city was saved because he had become a teacher. Even though he was seven tables, but guy they teach. Stephen was seven tables, but ah, Baba they spit. Ah! He, he literally 
He summarized the entire Bible. A feat nobody attempted. He, he, you see, the, the concentration of revelation that must have sponsored that exploit, he commanded that Jesus would stand. He said, what? What? Only Jesus attempted it. Because it was Jesus, we know that beginning at Moses, on his way to Emmaus, he saw somebody that attempted two things that he did. There were some things that only Jesus did. That was one of them. The fact that he said, Father, forgive them, Stephen repeated that. And the fact that he, he summarized the whole scripture in only a few hours. Maybe even Stephen did it for much less. And he, the concentration of scripture, he delivered it. He, he just he delivered it like this. By the power of the teaching anointing. Because he did not stay a babe. And he was not the pastor of a church. He was not a pastor, sir. Luke wrote the, the most voluminous part of the gospel. But Luke and Acts, the longest. This guy was a doctor. He went to a walk. He went there. He went, he reported to his office every single day. Yet he wrote a didactic analysis of the life and ministry of all the apostles and the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. What a man. And he wrote it for just another man. So that that man can become certain. What? These were the average members of a church. Average, average. Average member. If this average member gets into an industry, how will that industry be? If this average member becomes the president, because the things you are admiring about the person you are campaigning for, they are godly principles. That a lot of the people that have been occupying those same positions, they've been going to churches because many of them write church and Christianity in their religion in that form. Alright? But they've been going to churches. But instead of them to be taught the word of God and to live a life of sobriety and godliness in this perverse world, they've been taught that any kind of money you receive is God that did it. So when you are corrupt, you can use tithes to holify the corruption. And then after you have been corrupt, and we all know you are corrupt, you will donate to building projects and the man of God will lay hands on you. People have not been taught to become a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you expect when they enter into those offices? What do you expect? We say, thank God, my family is sorted for life. And they will embezzle as much as they can. So yes, get your PVCs and vote right. But beyond that, engage in the act that really sustains dispensations. Become a teacher. Become a teacher of the word. Because every man is carrying a yoke. Oh dear. I would explain. Every man is carrying a yoke. You are either carrying the yoke that only the anointing can break, according to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. Huh? The yoke that only the anointing can break. Or you are carrying the yoke of learning. Either way, we are all yoked. Because Jesus himself, he said, take my yoke upon you. So, which yoke was he breaking? So, you are either under the yoke of bondage and sin, or under the yoke of learning. Choose one. You can't be yokeless. You can't. If you're not under the discipleship of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is another thing yoking you. You are suffering from an addiction. You, you, they're, they're, you are under a certain yoke. You are under a certain enslavement. Your psychology and your emotions dominate your life and affairs. Something is yoking you and getting in bondage because you have not put yourself under the yoke of learning. He says, come and learn of me. You are meek and lowly. You find rest to your souls. What yoke is he talking about? It's a yoke of learning. I mentioned that scripture, Titus chapter 2. What is the 
perpetual dis- the disposition of grace. It's a teaching anointing. The grace of God that leads men to salvation has appeared to us all. What does it do? Teaching. They're not willing to be taught. Then you have carried another yoke upon your head. Because it's only by the anointing that yokes can be broken. So, so, so it depends on the kind of... There is an illustration here. There is a yoke around an elephant. Albeit a baby elephant. Right? There are two ways to break the yoke. But the first one is very complicated. Because any attempt to break the yoke will tear the, the neck of the baby elephant. But the structure of the elephant is such that the muscles of the neck are so strong that if it will just continue to grow, the yoke will be broken. Many of the yokes you are complaining about, it is not an anointing service that will get it out because you have learned by experience that you go to those anointing services and by the next week you are deep down in that addiction again. You have not been taught that there is a deficiency in the other type of yoke you ought to get under. Why would Jesus put a yoke on you? It's to free you. (laughs) Why? I want to free you. But the only way is to get into my yoke. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. That's the yoke of learning. That's the yoke. That's the yoke to get under. The yoke of learning. Such that the average member in this church is a Stephen. The average member is a Philip. The average member can lead a revolution. The average member. The average member. Not the Peters of this world. Because sometimes Peters can get so congealed. Like Ogi. That God can no longer steer them. God cannot send them to Samaria. Before, because before he sends them to Samaria. First they will have to have fasted first. Before they can even hear God. Then they will be at the top. And then you know the air will not be blowing them. So they will be, they will be light. They will be able to hear well. And even after they hear it. They will still be resisting. Until people will knock at his gate. Because if they did not knock. He's not coming out from that loft. He's not. They were the ones that embarrassed him into following them to the house of Cornelius. This, this God just says, this, this, this one, this one, this one. But Philip, he was so light that even he got higher. He moved without his own permission. He had given it in advance. Anywhere you want me to go, I'm, I'm gone. So day, he disappeared. You don't understand. The Holy Ghost already had his admission and his support and yieldedness to such a degree that he did not consult him and said, will you go? He just took him. He, he, he was not arguing. Like, was arguing with Peter. They, uh, you see, people that have cleaned, stop telling them, stop saying they are not clean, you know? And Peter was saying, no, no, since I've been born, I've never eaten anything that is unclean. You see? You see, let me teach you. Holy Spirit, sit down. Let me teach you. And Holy Spirit said, I'll cleanse this thing. And then he had to make them, because if he did not get them to knock, that means Peter was so, he was more afraid of people than afraid of God. He, he was people, I don't even know the word to use. He was so conditioned by people's opinions of him, that it's a, it a higher level of influence with Peter than the Holy Ghost said. If those people had not come and embarrassed him to follow them, they wouldn't have gone home. Why did he sit down the moment the people of the Jews came and approached? He just said, ah, let me not be eating. Let me not be found eating with the Gentiles. Let, let people not say he was more conditioned by what people said. This was the leader of the Jerusalem church. So sometimes the leader of movements become dysfunctional. 
that God has no choice than to begin to raise members from the pews. But what betimes the generation whose pews are also as ignorant? So, so God no longer found Peter usable, able to fly, remember? Flexible, light, yielded. He was no longer fly. So what did God do? He had to depend on the likes of Stephen and, and, and Philip. People who were not even teaching deacons. They were serving deacons. So whenever we want to do parties, yeah, red kitchen, you understand? They were the ones that would just send, go and go and go and serve me one change in there. And they were the ones we sent out. These were the ones teaching the word at this frequency. Ah, what are you doing in your private life? What are you doing in your private? And, and then you are struggling to wrap up. To, you know, there's this trend that I saw a couple of weeks ago where people would just come and put the mic on your mouth and say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The, and they, they, they would just be blank. And they've been coming to church for years. You do not know the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You don't know it. You have heard it, but you don't know it. Ever learning. Never arriving at the junction of truth. Never. It's a treadmill of knowledge forever. If you are not end, ending in wisdom, you are not. Always on that treadmill of knowledge. Ever learning. Never coming to the knowledge of truth. Having a form of godliness, but the power of a transformed life is bereft. The power of a transformed life that you can say no to sin, that you can say no to corruption, it's no longer present. And you have been coming to church, you have been doing these things, but you have not submitted yourself to the yoke of learning. You are either under the yoke of learning or the yoke of bondage to sin. There are no other ways. Let Stephen be your inspiration today. Let Philip be your inspiration. That enough of old, my pastor said, have you gone to verify it? Because listen, you empower a pastor when you do not teach. Or rather, when you do not learn and study by yourself. You have empowered him to manipulate you. So the day he says something that is not congruent with scripture, you do not even know the difference. Because you don't even know the scripture in the first place. You put your pastor under the pressure of growth. He must continue to grow if you are learning. Because there's only a certain level of lack of growth that he can sustain for him to have anybody listening to him. So your growth is what puts a positive pressure on the pastor to ensure that he must not say things that are not coherent. He must be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And the Holy Spirit, oh boy, the Holy Spirit gave me this illustration that was so mind-blowing. He said, he said, do you know what I mean when I say study? 2 Timothy 2.15 To show yourself approved unto God. A workman! Hi! That needs not to be ashamed. Rightly divide. It says, listen, when you are not able to rightly divide, you can't impart understanding. And he explained it to me using a mechanic and his apprentice. Now, bring a full car. You cannot teach that apprentice anything about the car. Showing him a full car. You can't. The car is full. There's nothing you can teach him. What, what, what must you do? You must divide the car. You must tear it apart. Remove the bonnet. Remove the engine. Take away the alternator. Then tell him how to piece it back. You have just taught him. That is what a teacher does. He divides the truth. Then pieces it back together. That is what imparts understanding. You don't learn about repairing cars. Looking at whole cars. You don't learn it that way. You learn it by observing how a man of God. Who is a technician in the word. Is dividing the word of truth. You learn it. Ah, so this is how to divide it. Ah, I see. When I go back to my scripture, I'm dividing the word of truth. And then you understand it must be cohesive. That is, it is dividing the word of truth, but it does not make the word of God divisive. 
Oh, glory to God. You divide the word of truth, but it does not make the word of God divisive. So what do you do? You piece it back together. And every joint must connect. It's like a puzzle. None must be missing. Cohesive. Study to show yourself approved. Unto God. A workman. That needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Because when understanding is lacking, growth will be lacking. So the pastor, the man of God, must divide the word of God so that it can impart understanding on the pews. And so that the pews also can have understanding, grow, so that they can also become teachers. That's the pathway. Divide the word of truth. Divide it. And you piece it back together. Then it will impart understanding. My child does not have to give permission to the nutrients for her bones to respond in growth. She just needs to be taking them in. She just needs to be taking them in. She does not need to sense and say, okay, is vitamin C in there now? Good. Now activate. No. No. Just take it in. It's working. So when understanding is being imparted, it's working. But ensure that understanding is being imparted. Ensure that you have put yourself under the yoke of learning. Understanding is not just when you hear it. It's actually when you do it. Then you see, ah, because that guy can be seeing how the mechanic is piecing it apart. What, how will he learn? He said, they brought one small car now. Yeah, go and try it. As he's doing it. Hey, yes, yes, this is how it works. Because you can, ah, how many of us, you went to school now. You see the man, the, the mass teacher, he will do the example five times. Oh, I get it, ah, small thing. Then you get to the example. The same thing, they'll just remove one small thing. They will turn the rest of our two to the rest of our minus two. Ah, ah, oh, don't it all. Finished. You, can't, you don't know what to do again. You are sweating. Under no anointing. <laughs> you are just sweating by yourself. Because you didn't attempt many multiple types of examples. You didn't do it. So understanding was not imparted. So you only saw how it was done. You did not do it yourself. You see what happens when you hear a man of God teach, but you don't learn by yourself. Go to the laboratory of revelation and begin to receive from the word of God. By yourself and begin to divide it. You have not learned. You have not grown. You don't understand it yet. Because physicitudes will still come. You will still fall. The Bible says if you fail in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Even though strength was imparted unto you. Grace is always available, but your strength is still small. You didn't take adv advantage of the teaching grace. Everybody must be a teacher. When you ought to be teachers, all of you ought to be teachers. You still have needs that somebody still feeds you. Milk, and you're so unskillful in the word of righteousness that I cannot attach a new, a new believer to you. Your lack of growth is limiting the allocation strategy of God. God cannot allocate members to you and just get you to train them. Because you say, no, I'm not ready yet. Let me still be growing. This is the 15th year. Since you got saved, you are still saying, let me still be growing. If everybody is working at your rate, a generation will be gone forever. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you ought to be teachers. When you ought to be teachers. All of you ought to be teachers. All of you. You ought to be teachers. When we call for evangelism, all of you ought to show up. You ought to be teachers. But when you are faced with somebody who seems to have a little intelligence but is an atheist, you are shaking because you ought to be teacher, but you are still 
in preschool in the things of God. And you can't face the devil square on and tell him why you believe the things you believe. You can't. When you ought to be teachers. So the sending capacity of a church is its strength, not its sitting capacity. You didn't hear me. The real strength of a church is its sending capacity, not its sitting capacity. Because one moment Jesus' membership was 5,000, but he couldn't send any. The 12 he could even send, they were still jittery. So what's the real strength of that church? Let the man of God just go. Let the shepherd just be taken away. Everywhere will scatter. Because there's no strength. No capacity. And there's no excuse that, oh, I walk in 9 to 5. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You are walking 9 to 5, but you are living 24 hours. You walk 9 to 5, but you are living. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the word of God. No excuse for not studying your Bible. No excuse for not growing. Because until that happens, industries will not feel the impact of your repentance. They won't. The king will be repenting, but all his circle of influence, non-existent. Everybody's still doing as they want. And the devastation that will befall Nineveh will still befall them. Because one person is not enough. One person's repentance is not enough to save the whole city. One person's repentance. So if God wants to save Nigeria, he has to literally raise enough sons that will enter into industries to save those industries. God will not manipulate Nigeria and say, be saved. No, he won't. So it doesn't matter who your president is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The church needs to get to a point where they are churning out enough individuals who will stand by the truth and the, and the truth alone. Not that we're always looking for, we have this savior complex. One person will save everybody. It's a lie. It's a lie. Have you not heard? Somebody who... I suffered all these years, 20 years. He never understood what privilege means. Having more than enough, he has never experienced it. You give him $2 million, he will squander it in a year and go back to where he's coming from. So you save a nation, but the people are not saved. The, people, the nation will go back to the stature of the people after a while. And the church alone is the only place where people are transformed. Through the vehicle of teaching. Ah, it is only by teaching. That a nation can be saved. So when people were asking for Jesus to become the king of the Jews, he said, oh God, forget that one. You will receive the Holy Ghost. He will help you to understand scripture because his dominant anointing is to teach you all things. When he teaches you all things, then you grow into a certain capacity. And that kingdom you are telling me to restore, you will be the one to take charge of it. He took a Joseph. But imagine Joseph was still a babe. So he can't handle... He can't hand kingdoms over to babes. He can't. Even if he wanted to. He can't. He wants to restore the kingdom. But who will the crown rest on? Who? We are the people. So he said, when you receive power, become teachers. Hand it over to generations. Spread abroad until it gets to the ends of the earth. Because it says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore, because this power you have it, but it's only transmitted through the teaching anointing. Go ye therefore, and not just preach to nations, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he says, this is the guarantee that I will meet you when I come at the end of the day. Lo, till the end of age, I'm with you. If the teaching is not lacking. Because it only takes a generation not to receive it for the next generation to be lost. It just takes one generation to lose it. For teachers to be void in a generation. 
What do you do with your time? There is no t- you are working 9 to 5, but there's no time you don't open Instagram. You, you don't have a problem, all right, doing multitasking with Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You don't have a problem with that. But you can't, mo- you can't seem to just multitask the word of God. You can't seem to be praying underneath your breath all through the day. You can't seem to do that. But you seem to be able to balance all that things that are ending in vanity. Abba. It is the fact that our heart is really not there. Forget all these excuses. The other day, the Lord inspired the prayer in my heart. He says, May I, the things that truly excite us be found only in the depths of God. And ah, I said a big amen to that and I put it on my status. Such a powerful prayer. That the things that really excite you, that don't come and lie to us. If you are not excited about it, don't, don't become me. But if you are really excited, let, let it be the depths of God that excites you. You watch a movie and after one hour, you are like, this thing is not adding to me, so it's taken from me. So let me go to where I can drink. Let me go to where I can satisfy the thirst of my soul. Are you really excited about the things of God? Or you just use it to just put body and soul together? No. Let it truly excite you. So beyond the PVC, the title of my teaching is the vehicle of transformation and emancipation. So vote. Right? The vehicle of transformation and emancipation is teaching. That's the real vehicle. That's the real vehicle. God cannot change a generation that does not get taught. He can't. They never got taught. How will he use them? Nobody stood as a Paul in that generation. No one stood as a Stephen. No one. Everybody is looking for soft life. But this soft life that you are asking for was delivered to you on the back. Ah, yeah. Of people that enslaved themselves to the cause of the gospel. That is why you can hold a Bible in your hand and then you even have it on your phone and all these things. It's because some people died at its expense. So this is another charge for you today. All right? That you need to vote. All right? But beyond, beyond just voting, which you will do, is to understand that that is just sincerely insufficient. And it's a charge to the church because the church is the ground and pillar of truth. So if the church is not churning out quality men, because the reason why you want to vote for that man that you are campaigning for, the reason why you want to be obedient, right? That reason is because you have seen someone that exemplifies traits that are similar to that of Christ. You have seen it. You have seen a man who has been able to bridle his appetite. You have seen it. You have seen a man who is saying no to covetousness. You have seen a man who will not waste things just for self-aggrandizement. You have seen a man who has, to a certain degree, mirrored Christ. You are not mirroring Christ, but you think somebody will just, by a whim, will just transform Nigeria. Nigeria is full of 200 million of themselves. It's full of 200 million of Nigerians. One man is not sufficient. So the God will, God will not restore the kingdom to Israel when the whole of Israel is still a babe. He won't. He says you have received power. Transform lives first. Change the heart of men. Let hearts be invaded by the power of the gospel. Teach all nations. An average sample size will transform an industry. Though anybody that shows up that is an, is an OB, do you understand? Anybody that you just cast a net, an average member of the church can lead an in, a whole industry and transform it. Not that we have to wait 32 years before we find one man that has gone through the ranks and still is not corrupted. It's just one man. 
In 40 years, and the church has been there for several decades. Who is the church producing? Who? What is happening? That most of these people, and it's not beyond just a Muslim, Muslim, Christian. It's not a title. It's a life. The first people that called themselves Christians, they were not self-arrogated. People looked at them, mirrored Christ, and they said, what? These are Christians. They behave exactly like Christ. The same life that work in them. And then they called them Christians. Christianity was a reward for a life that mirrored Christ. It was bestowed by the people. This is a Christian. You don't say you're a Christian. You should be called a Christian. Don't just mark it in a CV or in a, in a, in a form. They should look at you and say, what? This guy is a Christian. He's a Christian. The last person I saw do this was Christ. We were preaching yesterday. And <laughs> we were preaching to a man. He just listened very patiently throughout. I preached. <laughs> preach, preach, preach. He said, ah, I'm happy. I said, ah, most of I. He said, I'm, I'm happy. I'm just very happy. Shem was there. Okay, Shem is not here, okay? Uh, okay, I think he said he was not going to be around, right? So, and um, the man just said, I'm happy. He said, I've, I've not seen young people like this preach the gospel in years. Young people, fresh like this. You carry your body. You say you are preaching around. He said, I'm just very happy. He said, I'm also a leader in my own church. But I'm just happy that young people like you. Ah, because the average young white person out there is looking for money. To make it. He said, but I'm just very happy. And he, we went to preach. He prayed for us. He said, God, you will strengthen them. You will sustain them. Ah, I said, amen, amen, amen. But that is how, how, how far, how far the average young man. Because listen, this whole cycle will return. Don't you understand? 30 years from now, who are the people that will be calling Jagabans? Who are the people? Is it not many people that are listening in this room? What are they hearing today? What are they doing today? Who is training them? Who is discipling them? Who is transforming their minds? Who? Then they will enter into a position you think they will leave it. Just like that. When the seat of corruption is in their heart, the devil itself is the god of their heart. You expect them to enter into a position and just let it go. It doesn't happen like that. The church is the grand pillar of truth. And if the church shanks its responsibility of training disciples, the nation will rise and fall to the level of the mediocrity of the people. And so you must not be that nation. You must not be that people. You must not. To enroll under the real vehicle of transformation and emancipation, which is the teaching of the gospel until it gets to the very end of the earth. Bow your heads in prayer and just say, Lord, I enroll. I enroll. I enroll. I enroll. I enroll under your tutelage. I take your yoke upon me. I take your yoke upon me. I know your burden is light and your yoke is easy. I take it upon me. The commandments of the Lord are not grievous. It is better to be under your yoke of learning than to be under the bondage of sin. We said it a couple of weeks ago. How that to be free is to be able to say no. That's true freedom. To be able to say no to sin and ungodliness and corruption and filth and fornication and adultery and things that every other person is running after. True freedom is not to be a victim of the beggarly elements of this world. That is true freedom. And that freedom is found only in the teaching of the gospel. 
Because too many people get saved one day and the next day they've gone fishing. They've gone fishing because there was no teaching, no impartation of growth, no understanding that was given. So people could not grow. People could not grow. Enroll, enroll, enroll this morning. Enroll. Next time you hear a good word, listen to it five times. Let it enter into your spirit, man. That's how growth can be brokered. You don't grow by just hearing one, one, one sermon in one hour, in a whole week of 168 hours, and you think it will translate to growth. It never happens that way. Somebody has got to be enrolled. You think Stephen, by just listening to his pastor once a week, will deliver at that level? You think that's what got him to deliver at that level? That he will summarize the whole scripture in one breath, the whole scripture. <laughs> It's not by just listening to Pastor Damio. You must become a Pastor Dami. That's the, that's the import. Paul said, you can't just be doing, I'm following God. Follow me. He had the boldness to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Everybody must be minimum standard. Paul in scripture. Follow me as I follow Christ. You must be as grown, or at least close enough, to the person that feeds you every Sunday. That's the implication. That's the power. That is when a people can be transformed. So you go back to your office and they want to do something around you. You resist it. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But you don't just sit and shy away and say, well, you know, it's not my business. Shut up! It's your business. You are salt and light. You ever seen a salt say, no, 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 it's not my business to get the food salty. You're the salt, not just of your company, of the world. Everything is your business. You are salt and light. Everything is your business. The salt and light. The church is the ground and pillar of truth. But you still have need that somebody feeds you the elementary things of the gospel. After so many years of being a Christian. Not anymore. Not anymore. Enroll under the vehicle of transformation and emancipation. Enroll. Enroll. Enroll under the yoke of Christ. Because whether like it or not, everybody is yoked at a certain level. We are all yoked people. Only that the yoke me I'm carrying is the yoke of learning. We have not so learned Christ. It so be that you have been taught by him and you have heard him. Even as the truth is in Jesus. Woo! Then you put off the former man. After his own deceitful lust and take on the new man. Who after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's what it means. To take on the yoke of learning. To become like him. To become like him. Stop giving excuses for mediocrity and sinful acts. Stop giving excuses. Enough is enough. Get out of the nursery. Get out of the preschool. Get into higher things. Get into deep things. Get into mature things. That's the demand of God. And it demands nothing less. That's the only demand. That's the only demand. That's the only demand. Father, we give you praise. And we give you glory. For in Jesus' name we're afraid. So, so, if you really, really repented today, it will be obvious in your actions. A guy slaps a lady, for example, and next day, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What's the proof of the guy's repentance? That he doesn't do it again. Simple and short. That's the only proof of repentance. That you won't do it again. That's the only proof. Take advantage of grace. You know, another place we went yesterday, two guys, great guys, we spent the bulk of the time there. They were saying it's hard to be a Christian. He said it's hard. I said, what do you mean? He said, ah, I was born again today now. Next tomorrow, I don't find myself for which I know suppose they do. That is hard. I said, yeah, that's what 
put grace beside you and say, use this grace. He said, we're not waiting with the talk now. We need this grace. And the grace is there. Use it. <laughs> you know, sometimes it may be difficult to relate with some a certain level. So I was trying to just bring it down. <laughs> it was tough. It was so tough. But I was able to make a statement there. I was able to just get them to understand that this thing is possible. They say, you feed them it's businessman take this country when they made or they lie. When they do funny things. So all businessmen are going to hell. He was saying, he really believed it. That it's not possible to survive this world by grace. It's not, he said it's not possible. He said, what grace teaches us? That we live soberly, righteously and just in this present world. Not in the world to come, in this present world. And God expects that this righteous godly man, he will eat now. He will have a house. He will do business. He will earn money. How does he expect him to do it? Grace can make it happen. But this man didn't believe it. He said, no, it's not possible. <laughs> this journey is far. <laughs> you know. But he said this because the sample size doesn't do it. So he meets 10 businessmen, none of them. So he has every right to believe that, see, based on this sample, can extrapolate and believe that nobody is living, living righteously. But if you have enough people, a critical mass, that will enter and infiltrate cities and societies and institutions and industries and begin to do right. Abba, someone will be able to reference 10 people. You are saying that kind of a thing, they will be able to reference. Not that I'm the only one saying, oh, God, you didn't lie. Say, you say, don't join them, you didn't lie. Nah, I'm not lying, but you can reference other people and say, this, see, this, see this one, see this one, see them one. But when they, do, they are lacking, what is our argument? No argument. We have to keep quiet and say, well, evil has indeed prevailed. But not in our generation. Not in our generation. May the Lord give us the grace to stand the test of time and to hand over the baton of transformation to the dispensation after us. Intact! Not diluted. Not dysfunctional. Not an hyper-grace gospel. The real thing in the name of Jesus. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Can we celebrate grace? Celebrate. Wow! What a word! For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms. Powerpoint Tribe.